morning. Welcome to Temple Baptist Church. Take your song handouts and turn to page number 247. Saved? Saved. 247. I found. being here the last uh, three years it seems like but uh, good to see that there's still people that hung around and uh, still part of Temple Baptist Church good crowd here this morning cannot begin to tell you what a joy it is to see you and to be here with you today appreciate all of the men that filled in and just everything just went uh, business as usual and that is a great joy to a preacher you know, we got a lot of things that we're having to deal with in this world. Got a lot of current events, things going on uh, over in the Ukraine and Russia and COVID. But you know what we're singing here this morning? This is what really matters. Amen. And so if you're glad that you're saved, sing this from your heart and uh, just let her rip. It doesn't matter what you sound like. doesn't matter if you can hit those high notes or not. Just let her rip and sing it as unto the Lord on this second verse. Beyond the river, 499.
and pray Just a few more earthly sorrows Then to heaven will fly away I've a home beyond the river I've a mansion bright and fair I've a home beyond the river I will dwell with Jesus there Oh, how sweet will be to meet them All the reds and hosts above Sweeter still seated. That is a new song to me. I think I might have heard it for the first time last week watching live stream here, and uh, Brother Glenn and uh, Brother Stair did a great job leading that. That's a a pretty catchy song. That's easy to learn, amen? And uh, so, of course, maybe some of you all uh, have known that song before, but it's new to me, but it just seems like one of those songs that you pick up on really, really quickly, and uh, certainly that was a blessing to my heart. Uh, by way of announcements, first of all, uh, this evening, our service is at 6 o'clock. Following the service this evening, there will be a 30-minute Master Club's regional practice, and if you have questions about that, see Brother Andrew Moody or Brother Glenn Coppinger. They'll be happy to help you out with that. Wednesday at 7 is our Bible study, as well as Master Club and the teen group. Uh, Thursday at 10 a.m., Jolly Seniors meet here at the church. If you have questions, see Brother Terry TV Paw. And then Saturday, please make note, uh, the men's prayer meeting is at 8 a.m. So this is the first Saturday of the month of March, so we're having our men's prayer meeting in the morning. And so uh, please make note of that. The uh, ladies' prayer meeting will still be at 7 p.m., and hopefully we can get that going again uh, between the sickness and uh, everything that's been going on, we've had to cancel it. Uh, the la- we had to cancel it last night, and uh, so anyhow, hopefully we can get that going again um, here uh, this upcoming week. And then, of course, noon is street ministry. Had a good handful of people out, even in the cold yesterday. And uh, I know for me, it was a joy to stop by and be part of that for um, a part of it, anyhow. 
And then uh, after that, I was able to go to um, Gordon's Hospice and visit the White family. Uh, please continue to pray for Brother Robert and uh, especially for Sister Shirley and the family. And uh, so it, it was a joy to see them. And uh, I know that um, uh, they're probably no doubt concerned with what uh, the next few days or weeks uh, might hold for their loved one. And so they definitely uh, need our prayer. Uh, upcoming, uh, please remember next Sunday we start a four-day meeting with evangelist Tim Green. He'll be with us all day next Sunday, and then Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Please be faithful to these meetings. Brother Green is an excellent preacher. He's a real man of God, and he's old school. It's exactly what we need in this day and age. We need the old school, old-fashioned preaching Tell it like it is. He's a preacher of sanctification and holiness, all the things that are needed. And uh, I am certain that Sunday morning that he'll be preaching the gospel. And so if you have a lost loved one or friend or neighbor, really put some prayer on them and, uh, and pester them, bug them and bite them and try to get them here into church. Because who knows, maybe next Sunday the Lord would bless us with a harvest of souls. And wouldn't it be a joy to see some folks getting saved as a result of the meeting next week. Please be praying to that end. And then uh, before we sing our last congregational hymn, I have some prayer requests here. Uh, this one is for some folks that uh, we don't uh, personally know them. Uh, Morgan and Victoria Nelson, uh, he's a manager of Papa John's Pizza, and uh, he has been uh, giving us some pizzas for... Uh, like our master club practice, and uh, him and his wife have a situation with she's uh, getting ready to have a baby, and uh, it's scheduled for, um, uh, they're going to take the baby on March 3rd, and they've had some complications in the past, and uh, he said, I'll trade pizza for prayer, and so we get free pizza, and so we pray. You know what? I, I told Brother Glenn, I said, tell him that this weekend we've got a 50% coupon for prayer. But, uh, you know, I, I appreciate that gesture, and uh, yet at the same token, I know that we as a ministry, you know, praying what we can do to minister to people, we're here to give to this community and not receive. And I know a lot of churches, they're always working local businesses, trying to get something for nothing. I would, listen, I would rather pay double than to go out there and, and give the impression that we're here to get something from uh, this community, and so uh, certainly we can we appreciate uh, the gesture, but we definitely uh, should honor that and pray for this couple uh, once again, Morgan and Victoria Nelson, and then also we need to pray for our missionaries that we know of that are in Ukraine, uh, Perry Demopoulos, we don't support him, but I'll just give you this list here: Perry Demopoulos and his family, David Loman and his family. Casey Klein, David Bardwell, and Richard Wiles. All of these, I know several of them are either in Poland or trying to get into Poland. The other ones near the Romania border, uh, and hopefully they've gotten into a, a safe place. And then you may ask about the, the Chris Rue family, whom we support, were with us in missions conference last year. They are still stateside, but they do have loved ones in their ministry that's over there in Ukraine and so uh, let's certainly uh, bathe these situations in prayer. 
Pray for our president and the leaders of our nation that uh, they will follow the Lord's leadership. I don't have any commentary on as far as from a biblical standpoint what's right. I don't even know really, uh, I don't understand what's going on or why it's going on other than the fact uh, it's just human nature um, working. Um, and the devil, no doubt, uh, who is a destroyer, he's certainly behind all of this. And so I, I don't know how to tell you to pray, but uh, we certainly we need to pray that God will intervene because um, personally, I'd hate to see this bleed over to the rest of the world, especially here, the United States of America. I look out at it out at some of our young people, and their future is very important. And um, we want to um, we want to be able to continue to serve the Lord in freedom, and uh, as well as um, uh, people staying alive. That's a good thing to stay alive and be able to serve the Lord. All right, I think that's all I've got by way of announcements. I would appreciate if you'd continue to pray for my wife. She's still uh, certainly got a few days left recovering from COVID, uh, doing better, but still having some rough days uh, along the way. So your prayers for her would be greatly appreciated. Let's stand and sing our last hymn on the back of your handout. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim, in the light of his glory and grace, through death into life everlasting, he passionately followed him there, over sin, no more had dominion, for more than conquerors we are. Shall not fail you, he promised. Believe him, and all will be well. Then go to a world that is dying, his perfect salvation to tell. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dead in the light of his glory and seated.
here this morning. One additional prayer request. I know many of you are familiar with uh, Church Across Town, Calvary Community Church, and they reached out to us here, oh, it's been several months ago, 
and uh, asked if we had some preachers that would help them. Uh, they are between uh, pastors right now, and uh, they wanted some uh, folks to uh, fill the pulpit, and I told them we would be happy to do so. And so starting next Sunday, Brother Ben Smoker and his family on Sunday mornings, uh, they're going to be there for a few weeks, I think throughout uh, most of the month of March. And then uh, we've got some other preachers here that have uh, agreed to help out. And then a, a couple of you, uh, you're going to agree to help out, you just don't know it yet. So I'm just t- taking it a step at a time, and uh, they seemed, uh, the, the folks over there seemed thrilled uh, they know of us, they know what we stand for, and uh, so they seem thrilled that we were able to um, help them out with that. And, you know, anytime that we can uh, be a help and a blessing to some faithful saints of God, then uh, we, we want to do everything we can to be a help and a blessing to others. Well, we are in Romans chapter 14 this morning, Romans chapter 14, <clears throat> hopefully we can continue some continuity, and of course next week Brother Tim Green will be with us, but I started this series of messages a number of weeks ago on the doctrine of faith, and so uh, this is the doctrine of faith part number two. We're going to be very practical here this morning. Uh, When we started out part one, we talked a lot about the definition of faith and just a general overview, and I'm not going to take the time to review any of that uh, here today, I'd like to uh, stay on track, but uh, today we're going to talk about a particular subject that uh, sadly is very deficient among uh, God's people today. And when I say deficient, on both sides of the equation, we have extremes. We have people that totally ignore this teaching, and then we have others that go to uh, too far extremes on the other side. And you may be saying, what, what are you talking about, preacher? You'll, you'll see here uh, as this message uh, unfolds here this morning. But uh, Doctrine of Faith, part number two, Romans chapter number 14. For sake of time, we're not going to read the entire chapter, but I am going to be referring to this entire chapter uh, throughout the message here today. Once again, uh, if you are a born-again believer, you need to have a good handle on Romans chapter number 14, because people who don't understand Romans chapter number 14, you are, uh, you're in trouble, and uh, you're headed for trouble. Churches have had more trouble because God's people really don't have a handle on Romans 14. So please, a very practical truth here today, and I hope that you will pay very, very close attention and prayerfully Listen to what the Word of God has to say to us. Romans 14 and verse number 1 says, Him that is weak in the faith, receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. For one believeth that he may eat all things, another who is weak eateth herbs. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not, and let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth. For God hath received him. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. One man esteemeth one day above another. Another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regardeth the day... 
regardeth it unto the Lord. And he that regardeth not the day to the Lord, he doth not regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord, for he giveth God thanks. And he that eateth not to the Lord, he eateth not and giveth God thanks. For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord, and whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live therefore or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ both died and rose and revived that he might be Lord, both of the dead and of the living. For sake of time, we'll stop right there, and let's go to the Lord and ask his blessings. Father... Thank you for the word of God. Lord, we believe that this King James Bible is the final authority in all matters of faith and practice. Lord, we live in a generation that has forgotten that, neglected that. But I pray that that wouldn't be uh, so here at this church and among our listeners. We pray, Father, that we would lift up the authority of the word of God that we'd rightly divide it, we'd rightly apply it to our lives. And Father, we would not follow man's tradition, but we would follow the teachings and the doctrines that you set forth in the Word of God. Help us, Lord, for our faith to grow. And I pray, Father, that this message will be a help to each listener, and that we would apply it and respond according to what you would have us to do with it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. On six separate occasions, we find in the scripture that God admonishes his people, Christians, if you will, that we all be of the same mind and of one accord. Other passages in the the scripture also admonish or compliment whenever that particular thing takes place, when God's people are of one mind and one accord. So you have times where God is telling us to be that way, and then you have other times where God is complimenting people when they are that way. Being of one mind does not mean that everyone is exactly the same in their beliefs, nor does it mean that everyone's conscience is affected the same. The reality of it is, is that we are all very different, and we come from different backgrounds. And there are some things that may bother my conscience that don't bother your conscience. There are times where maybe what's bothering my conscience ought to bother it, and other times where it ought not, and vice versa with you. We're all very different in our beliefs, and no one has a perfect handle on everything about the Christian life. We are all students, if you will. None of us our masters. And so we are all affected differently and we need to understand and acknowledge that truth. And it does not negate the fact that God says we're supposed to be of one mind and of one accord. So I want to speak to you here this morning on the subject of faith and religious convictions. Number one, I want to talk about the issues in early Christianity. Paul declared several of them here in our text here today. And the first one that we'll address is the dietary laws. Look at verse number two once again. It says here, For one believeth that he may eat all things, another who is weak eateth herbs. (coughs) In the context we see clearly that the one who is weak in faith 
is the one who is eating vegetarian. Now, that doesn't mean that all of you meat eaters, and I happen to be one of you, I enjoy a steak. In fact, uh, uh, my wife's got a chuck roast that she is cooking for this afternoon, and I could already smell it before I left. And so, having said that, let's be dismissed. No, I'm just kidding. I'm a meat eater, and uh, you know what? When I eat that steak, when I eat that chicken, when I eat that fish, when I eat that shrimp, and, and I don't like shrimp, I like shrimps. When I eat those things, in all honesty, it doesn't bother my conscience, not one iota. Now, there may be some of you that you grew up in a different religion, and uh, you may have been taught that that was wrong, and your conscience may not have caught up with the truth of God's Word. Now, uh, Paul made it clear that nothing's to be refused as long as it is with thanksgiving. And so thank God uh, we're not living under the Old Testament dietary laws. But obviously, meat was an issue in early Christianity, and it was for several reasons. One being the Jewish dietary laws. In Acts chapter 10... And verse number 13, we have the account of the apostle Peter. God gives him, puts him in a trance, and he gives him a vision, and he sees this, uh, this sheet that's knit in the four corners, and inside of this sheet are all kinds of unclean beasts and animals, and God says to Peter, rise, kill, and eat. And here's what we see how Peter responds to it. There came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill, and eat. But Peter said, not so, Lord. For I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Peter, that pedigree was very important to Peter. Peter could literally say that, listen, I have never, not one single time in my life, have I broken the dietary laws. Peter says, I've never eaten anything unclean. And so that was important to him. And it wasn't just simply because Peter was proud, but Peter wanted to obey the Lord because the Old Testament law specifically said to the Jewish people, there are unclean animals and God says, I don't want you eating of those things. So Peter took that very, very seriously. And yet God says, hey, I want you to kill these and go ahead and cook them and eat them. And later on, the Lord tells Peter, he says, what I have cleansed, Call not thou common. Now, you have a Bible there, and your Bible is basically divided into two different sections. You have Old Testament, and you have New Testament. And with the New Testament came certainly this division, and the Holy Spirit is making it clear that there are some of those divisions of what is clean and what is unclean that God says, hey, this has changed. Not that God took the Old Testament law and did away with it, but rather, as Jesus taught, that when he died on the cross of Calvary, he fulfilled that law. He didn't destroy it, but he fulfilled it, and that had some very practical changes in in the lifestyle and the convictions, the religious convictions, if you will, of God's people. And so you had the Jewish dietary laws, but then also... You had issues involving pagan sacrifices. In the New Testament world, you had outside of Jerusalem, you had basically Roman occupation. The Roman 
government was ruling the known world at that time. And prior to that, you had the Grecian Empire. Both of those were very pagan, and their religions had saturated the culture. Uh, hold your place here and turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter number 8 with me. 1 Corinthians chapter number 8. And we see that the believers in Corinth, Corinth being a Gentile city, a church that's filled with Gentile converts, most of which were probably pagan worshipers before getting saved. And so they knew what it meant to be sacrificing meat to pagan idols and other deities. We know some of them just from Hollywood. We know about Zeus and we know about, from the scripture, we know about the goddess Diana and we know about uh, Ishtar and, and, and Ashtoreth and Baal and all these different pagan deities. But we find here in 1 Corinthians chapter number 8 and verse number 1, Paul says, Now as touching things offered unto idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. Paul is not saying that we shouldn't know things. But the problem with human nature is when we know things, if we're not careful, we can become arrogant. We can become puffed up thinking, hey, I know this. And then uh, rather than focusing on charity and how our behavior affects other people, we just think, hey, I, I know what the Bible says. I can just do whatever I want. Paul's admonishing the Christians at Corinth that that's not the right attitude to have. Verse number two, and if any man think that he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing yet as he ought to know. But if any man love God, the same is known of him. As concerning, therefore, the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice unto idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and there, there is none other God but one. For though there be that are called gods, whether in heaven or in earth, as there be gods many and lords many, but to us there is but one God, the Father of whom are all things, and we in him, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom uh, all are all things, and we by him. In short, Paul's saying that, look, you can... <clears throat> sacrifice to Zeus and Mercury and Jupiter, but the knowledge, the truth about the matter is that those are not competing deities with God. It's, you know, the pagans have a hierarchy among their gods. I think Zeus is like the big one, and then under him you have uh, Mercury and Jupiter and all these other gods. But Paul is making it clear that the fact of the matter is, is that None of those other gods actually exist. They are man-made. They are, uh, they are uh, religions that are fabricated by the human mind, or in many cases, they are influenced by something else in the invisible realm, and that would be the devil. And, uh, you know, if you've ever studied some of the pagan religions, have you ever noticed the uncanny similarities between the South and Central American um, false gods and religion and the Egyptian false gods and religion. You have pyramids and you have different deities. Many of the things are very, very similar. And we have no proof whether those cultures had any connection whatsoever. 
So, so how do you explain that irony? I'll tell you how I explain it. It was the same demons that influenced them just on different continents on planet Earth. Demons have pers- or devils, if you will. They have personalities and they have abilities that are all different. And so um, uh, certainly that uh, explains a lot of the irony. It's not coincidence. It has something to do with the spirit world. So there aren't actually any other gods, but notice here in verse number 7, <clears throat> Paul goes on to say, Howbeit, there is not in every man that knowledge, for some with conscious conscience of the idol unto this hour eat it as a thing offered unto an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. They don't know that the other gods that the pagans sacrificed to, that they don't actually exist. They got saved and they believe that Jesus is a superior God, but they haven't yet obtained that knowledge that other gods actually don't even exist. And so when somebody comes up and offers them a a piece of meat that's been sacrificed to an idol and says, hey, do you want that medium or medium rare? And that person is looking at that and he sees that as a sacrifice rather than a stake. And so he doesn't quite know what to do with that. He, you know, in his conscience, he thinks if I eat that, I'm compromising. I'm dishonoring Jesus Christ by partaking in that. When the reality of it is, is it's just a piece of meat. Verse number 8, but meat commendeth us not to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, neither if we eat not are we the worse. So Paul's giving us knowledge. It's like, hey, it's just a steak. It's just a piece of meat. It's not going to make you closer to God. It's not going to make you not right with God. But look at verse number 9, but take heed lest by any means... This liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. For if any man see thee which hast knowledge, sit at meat in the idol's temple, shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? And through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died? But when ye sin so against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, ye sin against Christ. Wherefore, if meat make my brother to offend, notice it does not say if meat offends my brother. This this isn't talking about offending people. It's talking about making people to offend. People see you as a Christian and you're doing something that they're like, I don't think that that's right. And you have liberty and so you just do it and you flaunt it in front of their face and they're like, well, they're doing it, so I'm going to do it. But to them, in their conscience, they are down deep committing an offense. And God holds them accountable for that offense because God's looking at the heart, not the standards, not the convictions. He said, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. Now, on a personal note, brothers and sisters, I'm glad that this is really not an issue in modern culture today. I'm glad that we really don't have to be conscious of going to a restaurant, ordering ordering a steak or a piece of chicken, and worrying 
that there might be somebody in the booth next to us that we are causing them to offend. Because that's not part of um, modern religious culture today. But there are other things certainly that apply, and we'll see those here in just a few minutes. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter number 10. And look with me at verse number 19, where Paul goes on to say, he says, What say I then, that the idol is anything, or that which is offered in sacrifice to idols is anything? The fact of the matter is, is they're not. But he says in verse 20, I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. And I would not that ye should have fellowship with devils. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and the table of devils. Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient and so forth. We'll pick up on that concept here in a few minutes. But the fact remains is Paul's saying clearly that there are religious convictions that we all need to apply, and we need to apply them based on the whole counsel of God. You know, I believe, folks, I believe in pastoral authority. And and you say, well, that's easy for you to say you're the pastor. I believe in it with all of my heart. But I don't believe in it from the standpoint of, hey, I'm the pastor, so that means that you have to do what I say. It has nothing to do with the pastor getting his way. It has to do with the pastor leading the congregation and exercising the spiritual gifts of discernment. A good pastor is going to teach his people knowledge and understanding. He's not just going to get up and say, hey, this is wrong and and it's wrong because I said so. Uh, That's not a scriptural ministry. The scriptural ministry says, hey, I believe that this is wrong The Holy Spirit convicted me about this, and here are the principles in the Word of God as to why I believe that as Christians we should not do this, not do that, or that we should do certain things. That's the right attitude to have. That's an attitude of charity, and it's an attitude of letting the Holy Spirit be our leader, not a man and his finite. Listen, no man has a monopoly on the Holy Spirit of God, yours truly including. And so this, the dietary laws were certainly an issue in the early church, not only uh, um, around Jerusalem with the um, the Jewish dietary laws, but also in pagan and Gentile cities where they had to deal with uh, the pagan meat sacrifices unto other deities. Now, as we get back to our our text here today, Romans 14, another thing, if you'll turn back there with me, Romans 14 once again, and we see in verse number 5 that religious convictions and how our faith affects our religious convictions are not just limited to what we eat, but we see also that there are Certain holy days, days that people reverence or don't reverence that is relevant to uh, our faith. Verse number five says, one man esteemeth one day above another. 
Another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. What's Paul talking about here? He's talking about the religious observance of holy or sacred days. Now, there are people, There's I know they're on the same radio station at us, as us, and they seem infatuated with their conviction or their belief that uh, believers ought to go to church on Saturday rather than Sunday. Uh, and their reason for that is because the Saturday is the Sabbath. And you know what? They're right about that. And if you study church history, the Protestant movement basically said that, hey, the Lord's Sabbath is no longer Saturday, it's now Sunday, the first day of the week, the day of the resurrection. Well, listen, we're, we're having church here on Sunday, but I got news for you, it is not because Sunday replaced the Sabbath. Nowhere does the Word of God teach that. That is religious tradition and it, a lot of it comes from the Roman Catholic Church. But listen, Sunday, the first day of the week, has absolutely nothing to do with the Sabbath or a Sabbath. And the fact of the matter is, is if they were consistent with the Word of God, those who have church on Saturday because it's the Sabbath, they are violating the Sabbath according to the teachings of the Word of God. Listen, if... When God said to the Old Testament, to the Jew, and he said, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, there were all kinds of ramifications. Listen, you, you didn't work on Saturday. You didn't travel very far on a Saturday. And these same churches, they are, listen, they're working. I, l- listen, preaching is a labor of love, but it's work. I got news for you. There's study that goes into it. It's expending physical energy. If we're keeping the Sabbath here today, I got news for you. I'm up here. I'm breaking the Sabbath. You may not be sitting out there, but I am. And then sometimes they'll say, hey, you come with us on the Sabbath and we'll feed you. Listen, I guarantee you, somebody had to do some work to feed those people. And so I I hope you're understanding that when we get off track with our faith, and our faith, our practice is not based upon the whole counsel of God, then it just adds problem after problem in order to be consistent with the entire Word of God. And so I just go back to the place you say, why are we having church on Sunday? Uh, You ready for the honest truth? I I know what you're thinking. Preacher's going to say it's because that's the resurrection. Uh, I'm not going to say that. You know why we have church on Sunday? Because of man's tradition. (laughs) I know, maybe I just shocked you. Listen, I think there's a precedence. Listen, if you're going to have it one day a week, why not have it on the day of the resurrection? If nowhere in the scripture God says, this is when you ought to have church, you go to the early Christians in the book of Acts and in church history, you know when they had church? Whenever they could and not get killed. They didn't care if they, they, they were having church at two in the morning on Wednesday. If that's the time and the place where they could get together and preach and worship and sing some hymns together and not worry about the Romans or whoever killing them. And that's just the reality of it. 
Now, listen, there are some traditions that are good traditions, and they're not worth bucking. They're not worth changing. So we're going to have church on Sunday. I think it's a good thing. But I cannot tell you from the authority of the Word of God that this replaced the Sabbath or that God came out and said, listen, you need to start having your church services on Sunday morning at 11 o'clock. All these are just traditions. Good traditions, but they're not things that we should be making doctrines out of. You know, there are startup churches all across America that, I mean, King James, independent, fundamental, Bible-believing churches that, you know, they started having their midweek service on Thursday night instead of Wednesday night. And there were many fundamentalists that were just sure that that's just wrong. That's just wicked. You don't, bless God, we don't have church on Thursday night. We have it on Wednesday night. And you say, why did they do that? Because they didn't have a building. And the place where they were able to rent a building or a place to meet was not available on Wednesday night because there was another church meeting there. And so they started having it on Thursday night. And the fact of the matter is, who cares? Who cares? There is no Bible admonition that you even have to have a midweek service or a Sunday night service or a Saturday men's prayer meeting. These are all things that the Holy Spirit leads each congregation. And you know, the, the problem lies not with the traditions, but a lot of times... Christianity and churchianity, if you will, has been revolutionized in recent time, not because the Holy Spirit, we've been following Him to a closer relationship, but sadly, too many churches have eliminated their Sunday night service because nobody's coming. And you know what? That's a sorry reason to eliminate a Sunday night service, especially when the Word of God says, that we should not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. The closer that we get to the coming of Jesus Christ, the more we should be gathering, not the less. Holy days. Some people think that one day is better than the other. And you know what? I'm I'm not going to take time on this at this point, but... These holy days involve Christmas, Easter, a lot of things. There there are different holidays that people observe, and it's meaningful to them. And then there are others that, you know, hey, they think that you're wrong if you observe. Listen, I'm going to tell you the truth, and, and I, I know some of you are going to misunderstand, and I'm, I apologize in advance for that, but please hear me out. Christmas is not the Lord's birthday. But what's wrong with having a day to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ? There's some good things about that. And you know what? For the lost world around us, why not enjoy it rather than start getting all cranky and crabby about it and saying, oh, that's a bale bush. And if you have a Christmas tree, you're worshiping Baal. And the person that's, that's that hearing you say that go, what? I'm just decorating a tree because my kids enjoy it. They're not worshiping Baal. 
And the fact of the matter is, you know that because you've studied history, but there's hardly anybody in our entire culture that would even make a connection between a Christmas tree and a bale bush. I think you know, I hope you know why Romans 14 is so important now. Because it got quiet here. You're quiet right now because it's like, wow, preacher, you're talking about some pretty touchy subjects. I know, but I can stand up here and I can speak authoritatively and I can speak boldly. I don't have to worry about it. Why? Because I read Romans 14. And and, and like the, the insurance commercial says, I know a thing because I've seen a thing or two. I, I murdered that one. I know a thing or two because I've seen a thing or two. I've seen divisions and problems and, listen, people that ought to be in a church leave a church over something stupid as Easter eggs. I know the, I know the history behind it. You know, there's some stuff that I'm not going to do. I'm not going to do because I know that there are people that have beliefs on both sides of the equation. Now, let me say this. I, I, I will say this. Halloween's not in the same category as Easter and Christmas, and you know it, and I know it, and even though I tell you that, you're going to ignore me, and that's that's between you and God, but I know personally I don't want to have anything to do with it, because even the lost world out there knows it's the devil's holy day. I just don't want to touch it, you know. You do it, you're going to do whatever you want, so help yourself. Holy days. The next thing, and I've got to hurry, and that is circumcision. That was an issue in the early church. In Acts 15, in verse number 1, it says, Certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. These are perhaps well-meaning believers, well-intentioned and you know, they, these are people who accepted Christ as their Savior, and before they got saved, their heart was right with God. They had a passion for truth. They had a passion for the Old Testament Scripture. You know, even men like Apollos was mighty in the Scripture. The Apostle Paul, he said, concerning the righteousness which is of the law, he said, I'm blameless. He was zealous and passionate about the Word of God. And the Holy Spirit had to reveal to Paul the the changes that were made and how the Old Testament law, how it affected the Gentile believer and how it didn't affect. But there were some well-meaning, and I say that, perhaps they were, I don't know them. But let's give them the benefit of the doubt that they were well intentioned and they come up from Judea and they're teaching these Christians in Galatia that, hey, you, you've got to, uh, you got to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses or you're not going to be able to be saved. You know what they were doing? They were perverting the gospel of the grace of God according to Galatians chapter number one. Whether they meant to, whether they knew it or not, they were adding works to grace The two don't mix, and they were corrupting people doctrinally and potentially causing people's damnation. Listen, if you think 
that you're getting saved, you're going to go to heaven by hanging on to the cross of Christ in one hand, your own goodness and your own works in the other, I got news for you, you're going to fall short. The only way that you and I are getting to heaven is if we are trusting in the blood of Jesus Christ, plus nothing, minus nothing. Hey, what Christ did on the cross of Calvary was sufficient. He don't need your help. It was perfect. And when we think that we can help with our own salvation, that is human pride and arrogance and it is wickedness. We need to turn loose of that and say, hey, I'm totally helpless and worthless. I need the, I need the cross of Jesus Christ and what Jesus did for me in order to get me to heaven. In 1 Corinthians 7, <coughs> verse number 19, it says, circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing but the keeping of the commandments of God. Now, Look at that with me. The keeping of the commandments of God, is that, is that a good thing? We want to keep God's commandments, right? But notice how Paul is wording it. He says, it's nothing but the keeping of the commandments of God. Because Paul knew and understood that the keeping of the commandments of God are not what saves us. So he's just saying this, it's, it's nothing. You can be circumcised or not circumcised. It's not going to affect your eternal destiny. Brother Glenn and I have been talking about baptism on salt and light. Same thing. Listen, baptism after salvation, being immersed in water, portraying the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a good thing. It's a wonderful thing until you make it part of your salvation and then it's not. A wonderful thing. It's a wicked thing if we're trusting in religious works. And so here are some of the issues that were uh, taking place back in Bible days. Dietary laws, holy days, circumcision. Uh, We can ask the question, what about Timothy and Titus? And let me real quickly uh, give you this. In Acts chapter 16 and verse number 1 we see um, what Paul has to say about Timothy and Timothy being circumcised. It says, um, Then came he to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus, the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewess and believed, but his father was a Greek. Him would Paul have to go forth with him and took and circumcised him because of the Jews which were in those quarters, for they all they, they knew all that his father was a Greek. So here's an interesting story. Paul has made it clear circumcision is nothing. Neither is uncircumcision. It doesn't matter. But yet Timothy, he took and had him circumcised. Now look at this in Galatians chapter 2. We see that, that Titus, another companion of Paul, does just the opposite. Galatians 2 verse 3, But neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek was compelled to be circumcised. And that because of false brethren, unawares, brought in who came in privately to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. How do we reconcile this, folks? Well, it's really quite crystal clear. With Timothy, 
the issue was Paul's trying to reach some Jews. And in order to reach those Jews, he's going into the synagogue every Sabbath, and he's going in there into their meeting, and it was a tradition that the leader of the synagogue would say, does anybody have a word to say? And, you know, can you imagine a, a Baptist preacher going to a gathering and, and the leader of the gathering say, hey, anybody have anything they'd like to say? I know what I'd do. Yes, I got something to say. And I'd tell them about Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what Paul was doing. That was his right way of reaching Jews. Now, his companion, Timothy, you know, it, it's nice to have somebody to come in and be with you as a, a, a means of support. Uh, here a few weeks ago, preached at Southview Chapel, and Brother Glenn's always good to come in, and he, he's, he's with me. And sometimes he just sits there, doesn't do anything. But he's there for me, and it means something. And I'm sure that Timothy, being part of that, was important to Paul. They wouldn't have let him in the synagogue with him being, with his daddy being a Greek and he was not circumcised as a child. And so in order to reach those Jews, Paul no doubt had a talk with Timothy and say, hey, Timothy, this, you know, this isn't, means nothing for your salvation, but for your testimony and for the ability to go in and witness to these Jews, they're not going to let you in if you don't do that. Now, without being crude, but listen, men, I would say Timothy had a burden for souls, wouldn't you? I guarantee you, he went the extra mile to try to reach people for the Lord. He went through that, and there are some men that won't do anything that's uncomfortable or go out of the way to try to reach people for Jesus Christ. Man, that ought to convict all of us, amen? Now, Titus, on the other hand, the situation was totally different. You had Gentile believers in Galatia, and you got those from Judea that came up and said you have to be circumcised. You have an issue of doctrinal corruption And if Titus would have went and become circumcised, then it wouldn't have been to try to reach people. It actually would have discredited what Paul was trying to preach, the truth, and tell them the truth, because everybody would have assumed that Titus is yielding to the false doctrine that these Judean Christians are teaching. So it all comes down to an issue of expediency. These were totally different circumstances, and the outcome or the right thing to do was totally different in both of these scenarios. Now, thank you for your patience here this morning. Point number two, we've been talking about issues in early Christianity, and if you'll bear with me, I'll go as quickly as possible but I'd like to talk to you about the issues of modern Christianity. Um, where do we start? Where do we start? There are so many different issues of religious convictions, and there is no way that I could name them all. But I want to say this before I even give you a sample list here today, and that is this. Believers today are so ignorant of the Scripture 
and yet so in tune with social culture that the issues of religious convictions change almost daily. While the weakened faith in Paul's day was the person whose conscience was bothered by something that it ought not be bothered by, I think that anyone who's honest that looks at modern Christianity and say, we've totally flip-flopped. The problem in the church today is not people who are feeling guilty over something they shouldn't feel guilty about, but rather it's people who should feel guilty by the way that they're living, but they don't even feel like it doesn't bother them a bit. It's it's the, how many times have I heard this? Well, preacher, I, I don't see anything wrong with that. I don't see anything wrong with that. I don't see anything wrong with that. And and you're just looking at the scripture and you're looking at what the Holy Spirit's shown you and you're going, you don't see nothing wrong with it because you're blind. You don't know what the Word of God says. And so that's the issue that we have to deal with here today is people are not bothered by things that they ought to be drastically bothered by. Here's a sample list that I personally had to deal with in my own Christian life, as well as in ministry. Uh, number one, church attendance, tithing, etc. cetera. Uh, that's an issue. That's a religious conviction. And listen, if you're a born-again Christian, you ought to have some beliefs in these areas. But I've seen a lot of division in these areas. I know people who say, I'm saved, but I don't believe that going to church is important. Hey, listen, I can worship God on on the bank of a, a creek fishing just as much as I can worship God in a church service. Uh, to which I, 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 you know, I think about this and I know what the Word of God says and I go, how are you justifying that based on what the Bible says? Is that trout preaching the Word of God to you? Did that red-tailed hawk fly by you and teach you Bible doctrine? Well, I, I can read the Bible for myself. Yeah, and I'm sure that you do. I'm sure you're real faithful to the Bible, even though you don't go to church faithfully. And and I have some oceanfront property in Arizona to sell you, by the way. As the one preacher said, look, I was born at night, but it wasn't last night. And so the reality is people need to have convictions and beliefs. The Word of God says some things about these. And and, uh, even though in the New Testament, God doesn't come out and say, Thou shalt. Listen, tithing is not a law for us. But I will say this, that if you don't believe in tithing, uh, I'm okay with that. As long as you're giving more than 10%. Because... Under the age of grace, we ought to be doing more than what the Old Testament law required. Jesus made that crystal clear. Number two, religious holidays. I've talked a little bit about that already. Christmas, Easter, Halloween. Somebody posted something the other day that they were against Valentine's Day. And, you know, I, I, Valentine's Day is just another one of those uh, those special days for me to blow it as a husband. I wish I could be one of these cranky Christians and just say, hey, all of them are wrong. 
I'm against Mother's Day and the Father's Day is okay. I'm against birthdays except for mine. <laughs> I think you see, uh, see the issue there. And number three, <clears throat> I got to hurry. I'm running. I got I got COVID weakness here, and I'm running out of strength here. Hairstyles and hair length, and you know how 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 should we be uh, having our hairstyle? And that's been an issue, and I think that most of you can agree that that's been an issue among Christians. Number four, dress standards. Uh, these are real issues, and anything from women wearing pants to Pantyhose. Listen, there are there are good Christians out there, good preachers that are against ladies wearing pantyhose. And then you go a, a like-minded brother who believes basically everything the same, and he's preaching to his people that uh, you're wrong, ladies, if you don't wear pantyhose. And I'm sure that people are scratching their head, and you know, to to nylon or not to nylon. Some are against pajamas on women because pajamas are pants. And I know a group of good people that think that it's wrong for men to wear short sleeve shirts. Now, listen, depending on why they believe that, I'm okay with some of that. You say, do you, do you agree with all of that? No, I don't. I don't agree with it. But you know what? Let me say this. I think that we've already read in Romans chapter 14 that, I listen, I would rather a preacher preach a higher standard than a lower standard as long as he's preaching it. Hey, listen, folks, we're doing this to be a good testimony and to, to let the world see that, hey, we believe in holiness, that we're different because we're God's children, rather than getting up there and saying, look, if you don't do this, then you're wicked. That, that's where it becomes a problem, and that's where the, the issue becomes a problem. Uh, how about television and movie theater? That's certainly an issue. And then some things that are less significant and certainly have changed in my lifestyle. Number six, beards. I'm not talking to you ladies. So ladies, it's okay. <laughs> Although you might consider, no, no, let me move on here. Uh, preachers having beards. Men having beards. When I first got right with the Lord in the mid-80s, in the mountains in the Asheville area, uh, you would not find a preacher that wasn't liberal that had a beard. And I'm sure that some of those that believe that way that are still alive, if they've seen our live stream, they probably go, that, that preacher's liberal because he's got a beard. Maybe I need to repent of being liberal. And, and wouldn't you agree with me that Jesus had a beard? They plucked it, right? And you know, I've actually seen fundamental independent Baptist tracts that explain that away, that Jesus didn't actually have a beard. And, and you know what that is, don't you? It's nonsense. 
we're dealing with cultural issues. These are issues that that I've just had to deal with in my lifetime. Hey, how about this? Dining out on Sunday. Um, some are against that, and I have no problem with that conviction. There are some that are against dining at a restaurant that serves alcohol. I have no problem with that whatsoever, as long as we're doing it as unto the Lord and not expecting everybody to march to the beat. Listen, there are some people that have no issue with that. I like what my father-in-law said. He'd get people to say, oh, you know, what he, they, they like to go out to eat after church on Sunday. It was a big thing for their family. They always went out Sunday afternoon. And he'd have pe- preachers in the community. It's like, well, you're just causing people to work. And, and, you know, he always answered it pretty wisely, I thought. He says, well, let me ask you a question. Do you flush your toilet on Sunday? Well, yeah. Do you know people are having to work at the waste treatment plant because you flush your toilet on Sunday? So a lot of these things are very difficult to be consistent with if we don't understand Romans 14. How about this? Shopping choices. Listen, we had, when we first came here, there was, there was a family in the church that either them or their kids, they were snooping into everything that we bought. They'd look inside of our vehicle and if they saw a McDonald's cup from a drink, then they would make sure that they told us about it. If we said anything about shopping at Costco or Home Depot, then they would let us have it like that we're wicked and not right with God. And they would even go to the point that I'm not a good pastor because they're teaching their children not to, and we're shopping at Home Depot. Now, wouldn't you agree, how do you win with these kind of people? Unless you just go to them and just say, hey, where, where would you approve for us to, to give our patronage? Now, wouldn't you agree with me that now... You become a servant of men rather than a servant of God. Now, that leads toward bondage rather than liberty. I know some of you are going, I wonder who that was. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who it was. They're not here anymore. People like that don't put up with me very long. Hey, number nine, church pews. You know, I've known people that, uh, I've heard them talk about this. You know these chairs we have at the back? Sister Dawn, you're sitting in one of these chairs that we bought, that there are a lot of churches that replace their pews with those, like these chairs we have up here in the choir. And that's just, listen, if you replace your pews with those chairs, you've gone contemporary. I say that tongue-in-cheek, that's facetious. Listen, what difference does it make? Maybe a church replaced their pews with those chairs because, hey, get a load of this. They're way cheaper and more comfortable. Doesn't mean that they're compromising or being wicked. And, you know, you can add to that screens and PowerPoints and, uh, you know, getting rid of hymnals. Listen, there is no, there is nothing inherently evil about replacing the hymnal with putting the, the music up on the screen. Now, we're not going to do it here. 
at least not while I'm here. You say, why is that? Well, it's just a safeguard. It's just, it's not necessary. I like hymnals. But I'm not going to say that somebody is wicked or compromising because they go that route. Maybe they can't afford hymnals. I've heard some say, well, if we have it up on the screen, then people don't bury their face in a hymnal and they actually sing out unto the Lord. Who cares? Amen? I'm simply saying that these are the type of modern issues, not to mention my last one, inks and piercings. I I don't know where to go with some of that. I know what the Scripture says. I've taught what the Bible says about tattoos. And I certainly, listen, I, I, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, but I believe that our culture is being influenced by paganism more than what the Word of God says. I, I believe when, when the Old Testament says, God says He doesn't want His people putting markings on their flesh, listen, I think that He's telling us what He thinks of it. It doesn't mean that you're wicked and you're not right with God if you have a tattoo. I had a young man that was in coming to this church and he said, Preacher, if I get a tattoo, will I go to hell? And I thought, are you even listening to what's been said from the pulpit? Of course not. But I'm not going to tell you that if you go and get a tattoo that it honors and glorifies the Lord. I don't care if it's a witnessing tattoo. Jesus saves. It's still some... Why would you do that? But it's a cultural thing. It's a standard. It's a religious conviction. And it falls under Romans 14. I'm not going to... We're not going to police people for that. Now, if you're in leadership... Listen, that's a totally different message, okay? But rest assured, Romans 14 is cross the board for every Christian, not just people who are preachers or Sunday school teachers or deacons. Please remember that. Now, I'm out of time here this morning, and so I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to stop right there. And the actual message is my next point, and that is keeping the issues from becoming problems. And by the grace of God, what we're going to do next week is we're going to take a lot of these controversial things, these issues, if you will, some things that we have brought to the forefront. We might add a few things. We may add some comment uh, commentary. But the bottom line is we're going to go back to the Word of God and we're going to see how can I keep these issues from becoming a problem. There are problems that result from these issues, and it's not just church splits. It's not just people leaving a church, etc. A lot of it has to do with your personal, private relationship with God. You may be grieving the Holy Spirit because of what you believe. You may be practicing some things that you have the liberty to practice, but you may not be right with God because what you're doing out of your liberty may be a stumbling block to someone else that's weak. And God's going to hold you accountable for that. At the same token, you may have some things that you're struggling with because you just, you, you have a guilty conscience about it. And you don't know exactly what to do. Well, I'm going to give you a sneak peek. Uh, look at Romans 14. 
And look at the last verse. You'll hear this again next week. It says, He that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith, for whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Listen, brother and sister, you may be allowing some things in your life, and the only reason that you're doing it is because, well, everybody's doing it. You know, there, there may be some of you ladies that you, you wouldn't even consider changing your wardrobe. Because after all, it's like, what's what everybody, I don't, I don't want to be weird. I don't want anybody to think that I'm a weirdo. That's the wrong reason. And there may be some of you that you're doing the right thing, but you're only doing it because you don't want to suffer any criticism or you don't want all of your friends to think that you're not right with God because of a certain practice in your life. You're doing that out of fear, and that's nothing more than a repackaged Pharisee. Because whatsoever is not of faith is sin. If we're going to do things out of faith, it means we know personally what the Word of God says. Our conscience is consistent with the Scripture. And yet, even though we may have knowledge, we're also aware of the people around us. And we're making sure that whatsoever we do, we're doing it for the glory of God. We're not exercising a liberty that's a stumbling block to someone else. At the same token, we're not feeling guilty over something that really doesn't matter. You know what? And I'll close with this. I was talking about preachers with beards and so forth. You know, I I don't see in today's culture, in 2022, and I haven't seen it for a number of years, that a preacher having a beard was a stumbling block. But for many years, I mean, I'm talking about I got right with the Lord in the mid-80s, and up until, what, five, six years ago, I wouldn't even consider having a beard because it was my knowledge and understanding that there was still plenty of people out there that would have a hard time listening to a preacher if he had a beard. And I thought, Listen, I got the liberty. I know what the Word of God says. I can grow a beard and still be right with God. But why would I, why would I have facial hair, something that I can take it or leave it, if it's going to hinder me from ministering to someone? And I'm trying to tell them what the Word of God says, and all they, they can't even get past the fact that that preacher's up there and he's got a beard on. You see where I'm coming from? You know why I see where I'm coming from? Because of Romans 14. And I hope that by the time that we're done with this, every single one of you will have a handle on Romans 14 because it's not just about the convictions and the beliefs. It's about faith. Father, thank thank you, Lord, for teaching us the things that we need to know, things that affect our culture, things that affect our testimony. And Lord, uh, I wasn't able to get as far today as I wanted to, but I certainly hope and pray that the things that we have said and taught here today have been a help, uh, opened some eyes, perhaps maybe encouraged. And uh, Lord, if any of us need to be convicted and to change the way that we're thinking and the way that we're living, then uh, Lord, help us to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit of God. 
In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As the pianist plays, just remain seated with your head bowed and your eyes closed. If God spoke to your heart here today, you got something you want to talk to him about, maybe it's an issue that's been bothering your conscience. Everybody else is doing it, but it's bothering you. You know what? You need to get that right with the Lord. Or you need to say, hey, I need to find out what the Word of God says about this for myself. Sometimes God says, just take the high road. Figure out what's right. And until you figure out what's right from the Bible, do do the best that you know how. But just don't be that Pharisee or that reverse Pharisee that all you really care about is what people think of you. When we're exercising faith, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We're exercising faith. We're saying, God, you tell me how you want me to live. You show me out of your scripture. You lead me by your Holy Spirit. I got news for you. That's exactly what the Holy Spirit, that's what our Heavenly Father wants to do in the lives of his children. He wants us following him and him alone. Amen. All right, let's all stand to our feet. Appreciate your patience here today. Obviously, I've been quite bottled up, had a lot to say, so uh, appreciate your patience here today. I'm going to ask Brother Chuck Whittington to close us in prayer. When he's finished praying, then you are dismissed. Look forward to seeing you back here at 6 o'clock this evening. We'll have a kids' lesson tonight, as well as a Bible study on right division. And so come back and join us tonight at 6 o'clock. Brother Chuck, if you would, close us in prayer.